0: Welcome to this episode of the Tennis IQ Podcast. I'm Brian Lomax.
1: And I'm Josh Berger. And today we're going to discuss the topic of pressure. How to prepare for uh, higher pressure situations, whether they be um, certain types of matches, certain types of tournaments. um, Also, how to handle pressure in the moment and how to prepare for higher pressure moments that might occur. And we're also going to talk about some of the uh, barriers Mm -hmm. to playing well under pressure. Um, in terms of some of the perspectives that you might have, and also how other people can fit into things in terms of the expectations and the judgments or sometimes the perceived expectations and judgments of others and the impact that that can uh, place on us or on certain athletes in terms of performing well under pressure. Um, So why don't we start with um, some of the barriers in terms of barriers to playing well um, under pressure, in terms of... Um, you know, Brian, I guess as you start to think about this topic of, of pressure and of, you know, performing well, um, what, what do you how, – how do you start to think about some of these barriers and some of the things that ultimately holds athletes back um, in terms of playing their best?
0: Yeah, I, I think these are some topics we've touched on in, in past episodes. So um, when we feel pressure, you know, it creates certain emotions which then you know, lead to certain behaviors. But sometimes the root is um, expectations, or that's you know one of the issues, right, is that we perhaps have some specific expectations about how we want to play or perform. Um, it could even be expectations that I should win or our team should win, which is, I think, one of the most dangerous statements in all of tennis is, is I should win. Um, because that automatically establishes an expectation and puts more pressure on you because what's going to happen if you don't, you know, how are you going to be able to respond to the fact that you told everyone you should win? Um, so I think expectations are something to, to, to really look at, you know, what are, what are expectations? Are they realistic? Um, and we can certainly get into more of this when we begin to look at some ways of getting through it, but we've mentioned, um, Ika Svjantek and the whole idea of keep expectations low and standards high. Um, And there's a reason for that because uh, she and her sports psych know that when you have high expectations, that does tend to put more pressure on the player. Um, That begins oftentimes to make us start to think about what's going to go wrong. I think as human beings, that tends to be our natural inclination is to think of the negative consequence, and of course, there's a bit of you know, sort of ancient software in our brains that has helped our species survive because of that negativity bias of of looking for threats out there, um, and I think that's really what's in play here is is our threat detector is is seeing something, it's sensing some danger to what's going on, um, and maybe it's not like real life and death danger. Of course it's not. That generally doesn't happen on the tennis court. But um, what's it a danger to? It could be a danger just to our identity of we think we're good tennis players and perhaps my not succeeding in this situation is a threat to that. Maybe I won't think I'm a good tennis player. Maybe my teammates or my friends or parents or family won't think I'm a good tennis player if I I have this up. You know, loss or don't play well. Um, so I think a lot of it does start with you know some of those expectations, Josh, um, and then and then how they they drive us to think a little bit more negatively. You know, so like, where do you? What's your starting point with this?
1: Yeah, I think you. Uh, I think you brought up a lot of uh, important points there um, in terms of you know keeping standards high um, but expectations low. Not ever saying that we should win a match or we're supposed to win a match or anything like that. Um, but, you know, having high standards for ourselves in terms of, you know, leading into a match or tournament. Okay. Am I doing everything that I can in terms of my preparation, am I you know, my sleep, my nutrition, hydration, am I mentally preparing or mentally rehearsing the way that I want to, is my bag fully packed ahead of time? So I'm not scrambling leading up to that match. Um have I thought about my strategy and maybe a you know a game plan or plan b leading up to that match? um you know am I doing all of the little things right um to give myself the best possible chance am i do am i controlling everything that can be controlled going up into that match so am i um am i in terms of my standards am i doing everything within my capacity to perform well um is is really where I would start. But uh, when working with an athlete, are are we you know are we setting ourselves up for success for this high pressure moment um, rather than uh, you know thinking about it in a way of what could go wrong right as, as you mentioned right we're not we don't want to think you know a lot of times people in in these high pressure situations they they almost start to visualize the worst case scenario they start to think about okay what if I feel so so tight, then I, I'm not going to perform well, and then I'm going to be double faulting, and it, it's almost become, can become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, so, rather than allowing our, our wheels to turn like that, um, and sort of get too ahead of ourselves in terms of these worst case scenarios, thinking about controlling whatever is possible to control and having high standards for ourselves in in terms of those things, in terms of, okay, if we want to be focusing on feeling good physically, we need to make sure that, you know, we're prioritizing our sleep or, you know, we need to make sure if, if we think that the, if we know that our opponent and um, you know, we need to make sure that we have done our due diligence in terms of really thinking through what that game plan is going to be. Or, um, I mean, we've talked in previous episodes about challenging opponents or in terms of, you know, handling various situations that you might um, get into on the court. But are we spending that time going into the match, thinking through some of these scenarios and really preparing in the best possible way? So the way that I think about it is, okay, are we doing our homework? Are we doing everything possible leading up to that match to give ourselves the best chance rather than, starting to think in these destructive ways in terms of I should win, I need to win. What if I don't win these outcome-based thinking ultimately isn't going to be helping us, but doing these little things right and uh, focusing on having high standards of ourself is going to start to give us that, that best possible chance and help us to combat that pressure and nerves that maybe we're feeling leading up to the match and also in the match or in the moment itself.
0: Yeah. And I think, um, when we I think we have to examine how we're thinking about that event or you know we're also going to talk about say pressure points in in different uh, circumstances but how are we thinking about that event and um, a really you know good way to start to shift your thinking is through an exercise uh, that we call like appraisal like stress appraisal so whenever a situation occurs in our lives you know we want to Um, understand, you know, how we view it. Is it a threat? Is it an opportunity? Um, You know, let's write about it a little bit. And if we were to take sort of this scenario where someone's looking at a a pressure match and they're thinking about those things that could go wrong, uh, not playing well, that drives then a certain set of emotions, um, which also changes how you feel physiologically right? You are now changing your body chemistry in such a way, you may even be kicking off the fight or flight syndrome. And these are all things that are going to block your ability to play well. Um, So when we have that sort of threat mindset, when our body chemistry becomes more or less corrupted, uh, we tend to tighten up. Um, We tend to our vision tends to narrow, right? We don't see quite as well out there. Um, In fact, you may be looking all around, you know, in tennis, that could be, you know, what could be indicating that is a player who is maybe pulling their head up every time that they're hitting a shot. They may be shanking a few of those. It's an indication, you know, that their head is moving because they feel anxiety. Um, They may also have tension in their body, which is then corrupting their technique corrupting their rhythm, their tempo, their balance. And so it's good to, I think, to understand the physiological components of what is happening when we start to look at the negative outcome piece or the threat piece of things. Um, Because we have to, if we're going to find ourselves back or get our way back to playing well, it has to go back to, all right, how do I start to manage my physiology a little bit better so that I can feel better. And then once you start to feel better, you're more likely to play well. Um, And those are the controllables. Those are some of the things that you were mentioning, Josh. But very often when we begin to think about these pressure situations, it's very results, results, results. And I think even playing well to a certain extent is a result or an outcome, Um, especially in a sport like tennis, where you have somebody on the other side of the net who's pretty invested in you not playing well. You know, part of their job is to not let you do what you want to do. And that's also part of your job is not, you know, not let them do what they want to do to exploit their weaknesses. Um, So, you know, when I'm talking about like this stress appraisal, it's a really good way to um, understand how you're viewing, you know, this, this particular event. And you can really just Freeform, write it. You know everything that you're thinking. Get all the the good, the bad, the ugly out there on paper, and then you can start examining some of the things that you're saying about this particular event. Like, oh, I need to win. I have to win. I have to play perfectly, or I should win. You know, some of these statements are um, perhaps irrational, like the whole need to win piece, or I have to be perfect. It's not really rational. Um, I should win. Um, not productive, so there are some things that may be irrational. There might be some things that are simply not true in there. So it's really good to go through, I think, how you're thinking of a match and and being critical of. All right, what evidence do I have that this needs to happen? Um, you know, some. I think we've talked about this before. The whole "I should win" piece is being. Um, it's obviously too result oriented, but it also we all know from a tennis perspective, no one, um, I mean, you got to earn it. There's, you know, there's no should, I mean, um, or should win. The pros don't say that. I think, and the best way to talk about it is, is the way a pro would handle a pre match interview. They don't say, oh, yeah, this guy, he's not that good. I should be done in about 45 minutes, you know, and I'll, I'll see it in the post match interview. Um, you know. Doesn't happen that way. A, it's disrespectful, but we can't control results. And so every pro will often say something nice about their opponent. You know, he or she has been playing well, so a lot of confidence, and then they bring it back to themselves. Hey, but I'm playing well too. I've had a great week of practice. And match starts from zero. See where it goes from there, but I'm just going to go out and give it my best and, um, and, and, and we'll see what happens. You know, and that's, that's kind of shifting from, hey, maybe we're thinking about the result, but now we're bringing it back down to what we can control in that moment. Um, and so, you know, and when we get to the sort of the good practices sort of solutions for pressure, I'll, I'll talk about the other half of that appraisal exercise. But the, really the first half is simply writing down how you're feeling about a particular event, don't keep it all rattling, you know, rattling around in your head. Get it on paper. See what it really looks like. And it, it will probably be quite illuminating, uh, for you to see what you're actually thinking. And then, and then we can deal with that after that.
1: Yeah. I, I think you bring, you bring up a good point there in terms of, uh, once you get it out on paper, it's not banging around in your head anymore. Um, it can be, it can be dealt with, it can be handled. You can come up with, you know, a, a plan or, or you can actually address it. But when it's just in your head, it's, you know, you're, you're, uh, ruminating about it. it, it it's not in a helpful place. But it's not productive in that, um when, when you're in that frame of mind um, i also wanted to go back to another thing that you said earlier about um when somebody is experiencing that pressure in the moment that oftentimes their vision can be narrowed almost like a tunnel vision um, one, one thing that i've uh, i've seen with some of the players i've worked with uh, more on court um is sometimes that manifests in terms of being distracted or almost fixating on some minor detail that is totally outside of their control, like a fan in the audience and just being so annoyed and fixated on that fan that rather than them thinking about anything to do with their game, like their strategy or their footwork or their mindset or anything, they're like focused on this fan outside, or maybe it's the opponent or maybe it's the official, or maybe it's the, the, the court conditions or something like that, but they're so focused on that, and that every maybe it's every changeover over any time you know any time in between points that, that that that's all there. That it's very clear that that is the headspace that they're in. They're they're wrapped up in that one thing, and I think when players are experiencing pressure and I, I think this this even manifests at at the professional levels at times you see this but um less so but um it, it can come out like that it can come out as you know some as focusing on something totally out of our control and to the to the detriment of the, the rest of of their game um so i have a question for you on that josh so yep. um do you
0: think that that is Sometimes help giving them an excuse later on, after the match, in a way that they can protect their self esteem. Like, hey, this happened. So and so is doing this. You know, I didn't really lose per se, but that happened. And, and so, what do you think of that?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think I think that's I think that's true. Um, and I think I think players will come up with those excuses oftentimes whether it's the core conditions, whether it's that annoying fan, whether it's, uh, oh, the racket wasn't strong the right way. Um, but I think what's important for athletes is to find that mindset of, hey, whatever's going on, I'm going to be stronger. I'm going to be a warrior. and I'm going to be able to fight through it. And this is a, as we've talked about in the show in past episodes, this competition is a test for me, right? Am I able to withstand all you know, all of these outside factors, all of these challenging conditions and still, despite all that still perform well. Uh, But no, I I think I I often see that. I mean, I I think um, our listeners have probably either experienced this or have seen this in others that, you know, if, if you can't find a way to win, Oftentimes people will find some sort of excuse. And maybe it's the core conditions, or maybe it's something to do with the opponent, or maybe it's something to do with us, like an injury, or our racket strung. And you know, maybe those each of those factors did influence the outcome. But when we're focused on it to such an extreme, then it's it it becomes, it can become a self-fulfilling prophecy that we we do end up losing. And the only thing we can point to is that excuse or that quote-unquote reason why we lost that match so i think i think that's that's uh um, that's important and i think people do that to protect themselves right to protect their ego and to say oh i didn't lose because i was a weaker player i lost because of blank i lost because of you know my opponent was was so annoying or whatever it was. My racket was strong. One bad call or something. Exactly. Exactly. It was that one call three three games into the match, and I fell apart after that. Um, Or or whatever. My racket was strong a few pounds too loose, and I I couldn't control the ball Um, or or, or something like that. So I think um, as it relates to pressure, I think it's important that we're – able to broaden that vision and to get out of that tunnel, you know, that that tunnel mind, that tunnel vision, that, that sort of mindset. And I I think, you know, just even something like taking a couple deep breaths um, can sometimes help us to get back into the moment can help us to gain a little bit more clarity about, you know, what's going on in this situation. Um, What's important now, an acronym we've used in the past, Um, and and not just be focused and fixated on whatever it is where our attention is in that moment, right? Where um, trying to be mindful of where our attention is and then having the ability and it's really a skill to shift that attention uh, and maybe broaden it if if need be. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, that's, that's, there's a lot of good stuff there. And I think, um, you know, one perhaps, equation we can use. I think Sean Brawley mentioned this in our episode with him. Um, I would call it the performance equation is actual performance equals potential performance minus interference. And so when you go through that um, exercise of how you're thinking about a particular event um, or even thinking about how you've handled pressure moments in the past and maybe have not done well, um, the, the things that have gotten in the way, those are your sources of interference. Yep. And the nice thing about, again, writing this stuff out and using that equation, because, um, you know, we have two levers in that equation that we can increase. Now you could increase your potential, but generally that's not going to happen for one match. That's a career type of thing. So over the span of your career, yes, your, your potential performance will get better and better. But if we're looking at, you know, a match coming up, your only lever there is how do I reduce sources of interference? And to do that, you have to understand what the sources of interference are. Um, Because we've talked about many times the the best way to to reach your best performance is to reduce pressure as much as possible. Um, And we've had some great perspectives shared with us. On this podcast, you know, Brian Barker talking about focusing more on, you know, just playing well and being the best person you can be. Um, One I really loved is from uh, Christina Rollo and Dave DeHaan Everything is practice. And that, like that, that may not be something you tell your teammates, right? Or, (laughs) or other people. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Um, But you might tell them after, after you played great. Because if we're taking the long term view that the ultimate goal is, you know, maybe not necessarily just to win this big match that we've got coming up, um, but it actually is to become the best tennis player you can become. And today's match or tomorrow's match is a step on that journey. And don't you want to bring your best game to that, to that match? And if you're looking at this equation, and you've got all these sources of interference, you're clearly not doing that. So all you're doing is getting more reps at a game that you don't even want to play. So why would you do that? It doesn't really make any sense. So I, I will often say this to players, and it does sound a little bit weird, but hopefully it makes sense to everyone who's listening. If you're going to lose, lose with your A game. You learn a lot more by trying to do the right things than by avoiding doing the right things. You know, in that latter scenario, the only thing you learn is, you know, don't do that. That's it. It basically stops there. But if you try to go out and play your real game, even if you lose, now you have learned about certain adjustments that you can make so that the next time it gets better. You've actually practiced your true game in a pressure environment and that is gonna really count toward your development as a player. So I do really like that everything is practice. It can be um is probably one of those things we keep to ourselves for the most part. Don't necessarily share that with everybody. But um you know when we're talking about reducing sources of interference and understanding that very basic equation, it's one way to reduce to reduce pressure. Um when you think of like that equation, Josh, and, and reducing pressure, what are some other you know, perspectives that you think of?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, a couple things. I mean, I think this perspective on everything being practice and everything being practice for, for something, for something else in the future, right? So we have – it's very easy to fall into this trap of, okay, we have this match coming up. This is the end-all, be-all. I, you know, I'm, I'm focused on this match. All I can think about is this match – but to be able to shift that focus, on, okay, this match is going to help me for the rest of the season or the rest of my career as a tennis player. In terms of this journey, this project that I'm I'm on, in terms of you know of mastering the sport, in terms of being as as good of a player and as good of a, a competitor as as I can ultimately be. Um, I actually wanted to push you on on a topic and ask. Um, Um, go back to something that you were saying in terms of, you know, if you're going to lose, lose with your A game. I guess my question is how do we find that, that fine line, or I guess that balance between playing with our A game and playing, you know, our, our best brand of tennis and being willing to make those adjustments and maybe, you know, utilize a plan B or shift uh, a game style if something's not working for instance let's say there's a player who plays very aggressively and on that particular day they're all over the place they're heading on four stairs not that they want to go to becoming a counterpuncher retriever type player but maybe there's an adjustment that, that can be made in terms of adding a bit more spin or in terms of you know not pulling the trigger quite as often. So how do, we, how do we help players find that balance between sticking with their brand of tennis um, that they're best at and also being willing to make adjustments when, as, as needed? Yeah,
0: uh, it's a good question. And I think what I would say is, um, because even in the winner's creed, you know, Bill Tim's winner's creed says you have to change a losing game. Um, but if you're not playing your best, is it a losing game? Perhaps not. So I, the, when I look at that about changing your game, if the opponent is handling what you do and you're playing well and, and they're beating you, then you change. Um, if you have not yet found your game, but believe that if you do find your game, um, it will help you beat the opponent, then I say keep finding, keep trying to find your game. Um, so that would be the distinction I would make there. Um, and, and maybe there's a fine line on that. Um, I know what you mean, right? Because you may, Hey, it's a big match. I play aggressively. I'm just making errors all over the place. Um, yeah, should I switch? The thing is, you're going to switch. You got this big match you need to win. You're going to switch to a game plan. You're probably not that good at, um, and that's what you're gonna go out on. I'm not yeah. sure, right? Um, again, if if you are playing a match and you're playing well, and your opponent is handling you, then you absolutely need to change something. Now, maybe you change it within the context of what you're good at. Um, you know, so maybe you're an aggressive baseliner. Uh, maybe you start to serve and volley a little bit, or chip and charge. Right, do something within the framework of you being aggressive. Um, if you, know, you need to start chipping and pushing and moonballing and, and you can do it then that's, that's a, another option but I think today lots of players don't have so many options and um, so I guess what do you think of that it, do you think that that makes sense like if, if you haven't found your A game and you're losing that it makes sense to try to find your A game and then if you've got your A game working and you're getting beat at it, then change.
1: I think, I think overall, that's a good, that's a good framework. I think it depends a little bit on the person. I think there are some people that play a certain, or, or I think some people are more or less capable of playing in different ways. Or maybe yes. if somebody is an all court player and they have the offensive skills where they can, you know, hit winners or, you know, finish points at the net. Um, and they also have the ability to defend a little bit more and run down balls, then maybe that sort of player has more options in terms of right. if something's not working, they're more capable or maybe more willing to make that change. Or if somebody is a strict servant volleyer and they're going to serve and volley on every point or a strict grinder baseline, you know, uh, baseline def- defensive player more on that side, um, they are, maybe a little bit more limited in terms of making that change. But I think philosophically we do want to go out with our best stuff. We we want to, when, when the, the match is on the line, we want to be playing our best brand of tennis or, our, you know, that we want to be going with the shots that brought us to this point in the first place yeah. um, rather than being hesitant or sticking with our plan B or our plan C Um, I I do think it's important to me. I I think back to winning ugly um, in terms of being aware in a match of who's doing what to whom um, and having that awareness to recognize, Hey, my backhand is being broken down right now. Let's, let's say, right. Uh, My backhand is being attacked. So rather than just sticking with that same thing, maybe there's something slightly different. Maybe I need to move my feet more so that it's not as easy for, Uh, my opponent to get to my backhand maybe I need to slice it more Uh, maybe I need to you know add hit with some more spin and you know give the ball some more air so that I can you know play some better defense with my backhand or or whatever whatever it is so I don't think that adjustment that's made necessarily needs to radically shift our entire orientation of our game from a player who's predominantly aggressive to a player who's you know more defensive Um, but I I I I think it's tough because I I generally think you want to stick with your best brand of tennis. And I think if, if you look at the pro level, the the pros are the best at that, at, you know, trying to find that best brand of tennis, even when they don't have it, but they're also constantly tweaking and making adjustments. Yeah. Yeah. And And I think when we look at
0: this question, it's like, you know, maybe we're looking for like these massive adjustments where it's not necessary. Right. Like, Can you really ever imagine Roger Federer changing much in a match? Probably not, you know. And I think when I think of this question, I think of two players, one who is very one-dimensional, which is Maria Sharapova. So, you know, she would often lose first sets and be missing things. And her answer to that would usually be to hit harder. And very often she'd find her game in the second set, and then win in the third. Um, And I think that's a good example of um, not radically shifting what you do, trying to find your A game, knowing that if you do find your A game, you're probably in the match. Um, I think, you know, the other piece that you're mentioning here are subtle shifts. Absolutely. You know, you can be changing that. You know, so if we're talking... You know, a major shift would be you know going from aggressive to counterpuncher to you know uh, conservative moonballing. Right, those are probably things that are of desperation um, rather than all right. You know, what? I need to slice my backhand a little bit more. I need to just get the ball up a little bit higher to so and so's um, backhand. I think those are also adjustments one can make within the framework of your best game doesn't have to be looked at as a plan B per se. Hopefully, it's just a feature of, of plan A as well, um, you know, so that I guess where I was going with this whole point was that very often when we feel pressure, we revert back to some sort of conservative game and whether we push or we're just getting the ball in, we get tight and it feels terrible. Mm-hmm. To play that way and what are you really practicing when you play that way you're just more or less perfecting this threat response and and and, and how you react to pressure where there's a part of me and you, you wouldn't necessarily do this in a big pressure event but go out find some you know um, smaller event or practice match and just really trying to practice with that that a game and just letting it rip and see even if you're missing everything, at least you're learning something about how to adjust it versus you're always holding back and, and, and taking zero risks, not being creative whatsoever.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I look back to my, my junior career, um, and at times during, during college as well, um, where if I wasn't playing well or wasn't finding rhythm, I would, Go back to uh, a a playing style of just sort of let's get the ball in, let's be consistent, which for me would look like let's slice my backhand, let's maybe chip my forehand at times or use, you know, sort of loop the ball rather than really hitting through it or, you know, actually going for my shots. Um, So I I, I definitely agree broadly that we, if you're going to go out, you don't want to go out with regrets that you didn't go for it. You didn't go forward or you were hesitant or you were scared to play your game. And I, I tell players this on, on the coaching side all the time that um, even just in terms of actually making the ball on the court, if you're just sort of trying to guide the ball and just guide your shot and not finishing your shot because you're just trying to control it, that it's not going to work as well as, you know, trying to stay loose and committing to finishing your, your stroke or committing to going for your shot. Um, there's something almost counterintuitive there that if you're willing to let go a little bit and let go of the result of getting the ball in and just trusting your shot, it, it ends up working out a lot better for you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and even as we were talking, I was actually thinking of an example of a match that I've played where I was playing really well. And this guy from Spain, we were playing, uh, 35 clay courts, national clay courts you beat me 6-4, and I made this assessment after the first set. I'm like, I can't play better than this, and I'm not sure I can hang here. So I started moonballing. I changed the game. Uh, I just changed the dynamic. I didn't think my A game was really going to do it, so I turned it into like a boys' 12s match instead of a men's 35s. And ended up winning with that style. Um, and so, to me, like that, for me, that was a, a good use of it. I also have another story where I was playing, I think, 45 Nationals, and I held back. And I was really upset after the match with myself. A L- lot of regrets about that. Um, now, I did turn that into fuel to never play that way again and had a great summer. So, in, in, in the end, that loss was important to me because it 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 showed me what i never want to do again um so i think there are you know different things that we can learn even even through our regrets If you play one of those types of matches can you can you look at it and say you know what i never want to do that again i've reached the low point (laughs) and then you got to change something you got it you know you got to start playing a little bit you know we'll go back to jeff greenwald play without fear let it go. Right.
1: Yeah. No, I, I think, I, I, I think uh, what's important is playing in a, playing in a way that you think gives you the, the best possible chance. So whether there are all different types of players out there. So what, what we're not saying is that, that, that for everybody, the, the, the way that you're going to play best is this, you know, really, really aggressive right. way of going for everything um I, I think it's different for each person you see that at every level that um you know th- there are people that play more or less aggressive and all different playing styles within that um but whatever that playing style is that that you are um best at and ultimately gives you that best chance that that's what you want to go down fighting with um not some playing style of just trying to you know going through the motions or just trying to get the ball in or um or on the other side of things, on the more aggressive side of, you know, of saying, OK, I need to hit the, the world's biggest serves here or uh-huh. serve and volley on every point or, or whatever it is. But um, no, I think that's an important point. And I think as it relates to pressure, going back to to that, I think. Um, as it relates to pressure, that's you know where where you want to double down on that, um, where you want to really stick to those um, that that playing style that you're best at. I actually I got a great tip from one of my coaches growing up that you know a high pressure situation a, a good play is to try to put pressure on the opponent. Right, they're probably feeling it too. Maybe it's a tie break or or maybe it's you know late in the third set or whatever it is. That, hey, maybe we want to come to net here and really put some pressure on the opponent and force them to come up with their best shot. Um, trying to, again, sort of shift our perspective from being stuck in our own heads, thinking about our own game and that pressure that we're experiencing and recognizing that our opponent is, is feeling that as well. They must be in this moment. So let's put some pressure on them. Let's make them uncomfortable. Let's come up to net and put them in a position where they have to hit a passing shot or they have to you know maybe hit the type of shot that they're uncomfortable with.
0: And that's good use of, uh, you know, tennis IQ level three, thinking more about the other side, how we make them uncomfortable, and absolutely make them come up with a shot under pressure. Um, many people won't be able to do it. You know, they may just hit a return in the net or, or miss it wide, or maybe they give you an easy volley, and then 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 the point is over. So... Josh, should we transition now to talking about some good practices to prepare and then also how to handle pressure points? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So perhaps I guess I'll go back to that stress appraisal exercise and and complete the circle there. So we started off by listing out all the things that we're thinking about with respect to this upcoming match or this upcoming event. There's probably going to be some – some good stuff in there, probably mostly going to be things that are not helpful, not true, somewhat irrational. And so what we want to do is, is look at that, you know, address it, notice that there's sources of interference, see where we can challenge some of those things. But then we want to create a new way of looking at it. And um, call this the challenge mindset. And the idea is to embrace the challenge of this particular event or moment. And one of my favorite quotes with respect to this um, is from a guy named Carlos Castaneda. And this is uh, comes from Toltec philosophy. Toltecs were a civilization in northern Mexico a long time ago. And I like to call this the warrior mindset. And so a warrior in the, in the Toltec society was not necessarily somebody who just went to war, but it was someone who was always striving for personal freedom and to become the best person that they could become. And so the the quote is this, the difference between a a warrior and an ordinary person is that a warrior takes everything as a challenge while the ordinary person takes everything as a blessing or a curse. And you could probably even find that ordinary person in your initial appraisal. Like, oh, it's this, you know, this is going to be tough or this sucks or it's bad luck or or something. Or there might even be some of the good parts, right? The blessing um, about what, what's happening. Um, but the warrior looks at it, just accepts it for what it is. You know, this is an event. This is, it's an important event for our team or it's an important event for me. Great. I accept that. Now I want to embrace that challenge. I want to take it on. Um, and then we have a series of questions that help people come up with essentially a pre-event self-talk plan that they can then use over the course of a couple of days or a week in essence to help make that their default thinking when someone brings up this, this event. And some of the questions are, you know, what do you have to gain from this event? You know, what could you improve? Um, What can you control? What can you do? to show others that you're embracing this moment those types of questions um and you get this like really cool paragraph when you read it you're like all right wow that's yes i like this approach this is a much better way of thinking about it because we're thinking more about hey i want to be in that situation it's not so much about what can go wrong it's like hey there is something in it for me and it's this and i want to i want to Approach that. I want to strive for that. And, you know, some of it would also be helping you to reduce the pressure of the, you know, maybe potential consequences that go into this. And so this new way of looking at it, the embrace the challenge mindset can really start to get you to now move away from the threat response. But okay, I want to be here. So what do I need to do now in order to start playing the way I want to play? I've created that mental space. I've removed some of that anxiety. Now I can actually focus on creating some of these outcomes.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's that. That's a, uh, I, I, a couple things came to mind there. Um, number one is trying to see things as they are, right? So this non-judgmental way of viewing the situation and viewing, appraising the situation. So not. Well, if you have a, a finals of a tournament, let's just say, um, or it's your conference tournament, um, you, we're not we're not saying, hey, this is this is the most important match ever. Or we're not lying to ourselves and saying, oh, this is just like any other match. But seeing things as they are, we're, we're saying, okay, this is a big match. Um, and that's what it is. It, to me, it reminds me of the inner game of tennis. Yeah, and, uh, you know, th- trying to remove that judgment piece and just be able to see it as it is. And then we can respond um, in that best possible way. And then also where you're talking about that, that challenge mindset, um, you know, and there's a, I, I know, uh, Will Beaubegard, um, who we had in a previous episode, we talked a lot about this and we just talked about this when I was working at Sacred Heart, but being able to see things as a challenge or an opportunity rather than a threat. And uh, I think if, as you break it down, you start to see that any sort of, Moment, Any sort of challenge that that can be faced can be seen in that way, can be seen as a challenge or can be seen as an opportunity rather than a threat. And I think the the big difference between those two sorts of mindsets is that when something's a challenge, when something's an opportunity, you're going to be leaning in, you're going to be eager for it, you're going to be excited about it, um, where if it's a threat, you're going to be backing away, you're going to be fearful. Um, you're going to think about what you have to lose rather than what you have to gain from the situation. So uh, I think helping individuals to recognize that and to um, recognize that you have control over how you view the situation and where your attention is. And that also that we're not catastrophizing that, Oh, if if I lose this match or we lose this tournament, that, um, you know, that this is all a waste or that I'll never have an opportunity like this again. Um, so I, I, I think that's, that's a great way to look at things in terms of seeing things as they are, but also and, you know, not sort of viewing them through this, um, you know, put, putting our own spin on, on things in terms of making it bigger or smaller than it actually is, but seeing things non-judgmentally, but also viewing things as an opportunity or a challenge and trying to rise to the occasion rather than backing away um, and seeing it as a threat.
0: Yeah, I think that is like the basic behavior or basic difference between the two, right? Do we, do we avoid negative outcomes or are we going to try to approach positive ones? Yep, and, absolutely. You know, one sort of the avoiding, usually you, you'll notice that from the word don't. Don't do this. Don't do that. I don't want to mess up. I don't want to double fault. I don't want to make a lot of mistakes versus do sure you know, and, and 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 taking positive actions yeah i want to i want to work on my breathing i want to focus on my game plan i want to um you know have great body language when i'm out there those types of things right so you're actually giving yourself some things to do um and i think that you know can then once you're able to get your head into that space of thinking about what you actually want and what's in it for you then you can begin to put it into specific things you're going to do in order to um, get prepared for that event. Um, and that also, this discussion can also be brought down into a point in a match. Because we all know we've been there, get to, maybe if you're playing a no ad situation, automatically you might be thinking, all right, I can't screw this up. Versus, all right, what do I need to do here to win this point? Right. You know, and, um, it just, I think a lot of this process is building self awareness for how you think. And you mentioned earlier the, the idea of acceptance and not being non judgmental. This is where a practice like meditation can help you be more of that noticer, that watcher of the thoughts. So it helps to kind of separate what you think from, you know, sort of yourself, oh, that's just a thought. It's not, it's not me per se. It doesn't have to be true. It's just a thought. And the more that we notice it like, oh, you know what? I'm, I'm thinking a little bit too much about what I don't want. I need to shift that. Um, But if you don't have maybe that mental discipline built in yet, you may not be able to make that shift. And I think that's, you know, when we did our mindfulness episode, that was one of the reasons that we advocated for mindfulness meditation as a practice for, for players, but, you know, actually everyone in general, so that they can understand a little bit more about how their own mind works, build some awareness of that, um, and then maybe make some changes about how that works so that we start to get... More of the things that we want in life and, and, and not just thinking about what we don't, don't want. You know, so I think we can apply some of that to our preparation for the match ahead or understand that in the moment. How are we, how are we thinking? How do we want to be thinking? Um, you had mentioned earlier, you know, like could be thinking about these situations and it made me think about Novak Djokovic, who his use of visualization is, is putting himself into many different situations in a match. Um, adverse situations, not all easy ones. And he puts himself in that situation. He sees himself succeeding there so that when a- an actual tough pressure situation comes up, he's already thought about how he's going to handle it. He's not making it up in the moment what he wants to do, right? He's had this level of preparation and pre-planning And by doing it through visualization, he can actually see it and feel it and almost have this experience of I've been here before. And so that's, you know, another option as we prepare for things is can we be thinking not about just, hey, I want to play well, but all right, what are some of the things that could happen in this event that I want to be prepared for? What are some of the big moments? What do I want to do if I've got a break point? against, you know, the uh, the opponent, right? I, I'm, I can break his serve. How do I want to handle that? How do I want to handle break points against me? How do I want to go into that closing game for the set or the match? And the more that we have prepared ourselves to be in those moments, rather than, again, winging it when the moment occurs, the better we're going to handle that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think that the point about uh, visualization and visualizing specific scenarios that are, that are likely to occur. Um, I mean, we see it with Djokovic where he finds this, he has this ability, I think unlike any other player I've ever seen to just not miss, to, to find a certain level where he can just not miss. And I think that that's come out in, um, certain mat and matches where he's been down match points. Um, I, I can think of a number of them. Um, And, you know, he, he's able to find that level. And I think a a big reason why is because through the visualization process, it essentially tricks your brain into thinking that it's already been through it. So you have a plan you know how you're going to respond because to your, to your brain, you've already been been through that situation and you've practiced it. You've rehearsed that situation. Uh, I think as we're thinking about how to handle pressure in, in the moment um, that that preparation piece is, is such a big part of it, you know, rehearsing how we're gonna handle that situation when it's deuce point, right? A lot of um a lot of, uh whether it's at the college level, whether it's US certain USTA matches, um there's more and more no-ad scoring now, which really puts the importance on that deuce point, um, that deciding point. That one point swings the game one way or the other. So can we prepare for that in terms of do we have a certain pattern that we know we want to go to in that moment so it clears that, that space for us. So we don't have to make a decision, okay, where are we going to serve here or what pattern are we going to go to. But we've already thought this out ahead of time and mentally prepared. And maybe we've prepared that on the practice court too. Hopefully. Um, so I think, I think that preparation piece of those big points is big, but also thinking, hey, if it's love 40 and I'm serving, what, what then? How how are we going to handle that? Or even thinking, okay, if I'm playing and I'm really feeling nervous, I'm physically feeling nervous. My heart is pounding. Maybe my palms are sweaty. I can literally feel my heart pumping. Can you know? Maybe there's um, some some mental rehearsal or imagery that we can do um, about actually that sort of scenario. But do we have a plan in place for? Getting you know calming ourselves down or getting ourselves into a frame of mind so that we can actually perform in that moment.
0: Yeah, so let's talk about that in the moment um, because we might get into a, a fight or flight response. Yep. So, you know, so what do we do? Um, because you know, what are we experiencing? We're probably experiencing um, um, a little bit more stress. Our body starting to feel more tense. Um, probably not thinking quite as well. We're probably rushing, yep. what I normally see when people begin to, um, to get more nervous. They begin to rush from point to point. Uh, we might be looking all around rather than keeping our eyes fixed on certain things to control what we're, what we're inputting. And so there are, I think, some, again, some levers that we can pull here to begin to try to find ourselves again and you mentioned it earlier, Josh, breathing is probably the first thing that we want to start doing is bringing back our awareness of our breath, breathing through the belly, through the diaphragm, exhaling through the mouth, dropping the shoulders as a way of beginning that relaxation response in the body, but it also helps to start to slow the thoughts in the mind down. Very often when we're in that fight-or-flight mode, Our mind is really racing. It almost feels like the the thoughts are just going a million miles an hour. We want to see if we can slow slow that down. Um, I think another aspect that we can be doing in that moment is can we start to shake the tension out of our body? Um, You know, that could be bouncing up and down, shaking out your arms. Could even do a um, sort of a modified progressive muscle relaxation. You know, grip your racket really tightly and then let it go and kind of shake out your arm, right? Again, all about releasing tension because what does tension do? Tension often will corrupt your technique. It will corrupt your rhythm, your tempo, and your balance. And if you've got a lot of tension, where it often manifests itself is in how you grip the racket. The tighter you grip the racket, it actually shifts the balance of weight in the racket from the tip of the head, and it usually brings it into the throat or the grip. Therefore, you've got less weight in the head, you can't create as much spin, you can't create um, as much power, and very often, you know, just even the mobility of the racket may turn it into more of a trampoline than, you know, than being able to exercise some control there. And when we grip that racket tightly and there's no weight in the head, very often the ball starts to land short, shorter and shorter and shorter, we get attacked. So, by trying to loosen things up over the course of, uh, you know, several points, getting ourselves to, I like to use the metaphor, you want to feel like cooked pasta. You want to be nice and loose out there uh, as much as you can. You loosen up the grip. That's a great place to start as well. Not to the point where your rack is going to fly out of your hand, right? But find that balance where you can control it, but it's also nice and, and, and loose um, so that your arm starts to loosen up. So I think those are a couple of good things, as well as then start to manage your body language. What image are you projecting here? Are you letting everybody know that you're struggling? Or can we start to take control of that and, and almost ooze this sense of calm and confidence in that situation? You know, kind of, I got this. I think it can be helpful sometimes to, when you're thinking about body language, how you walk around the court, Watch how certain pros walk around the court. Now, a guy who I really like how he's walking around the court these days is uh, Stefano Sissipas. He's got a really good, confident walk. And you know what he does that I really like is he has like a little bit of an extra long stride. That just shows some real power and energy there, like some real swagger to how he walks. So even in those moments, hey, pretend you're your, your like favorite pro. How would your favorite pro handle this moment? You know, play as if you're CC Nadal, Djokovic, Serena, you know, whomever, Naomi, Naomi Osaka. Be them in that moment. Um, there's actually you've probably read some of this research Josh that um, when we play as if we're somebody else when we're playing a role, we often perform better.
1: Gets us out of our own head, certainly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I I, I I, think there's a lot to that. Um, I think, you know, we're going to feel more fluid. We're not going to be thinking about all the little intricacies of our swing that, you know, our backhand that we're uncertain with and where we're starting the swing and our hips and this and that. We're, we're in the moment we're focused on one thing. I, I think back to uh, the actual conversation with Sean Brawley where we talked about, you know, focusing on that most important thing. Um, which is off in the ball, or this situation we're talking about—you know, feeling loose with our swing, or how we walk around the court. So I think when we are emulating the the pros, and you know, trying to um, to, to look like them in terms of our, our strokes, in terms of our body language, that um, it, it can it can definitely do a lot for um, the our our game and the and sort of how we portray ourselves to our opponent. Um, And I I think the body language piece is is something that maybe isn't talked about enough. And I I think certainly is something that players often aren't aware of enough. And I think it, um, especially in big moments, um, when somebody can see it on video, how they actually look and how they um, sort of that message that they're sending to their opponent on the other side of the net, that can, that can do make a big difference where if somebody can see, um, you know, what am I looking like right now? You can often, they, they can often recognize and make that change um, because they, they see that, okay, I, you know, my, I was rushing and I, I only took you know, four seconds in between points here, or I kept my head down the whole time. I didn't look up at my opponent even once um, or, you know, my, my shoulders were um, up by my ears and I, I looked very tense Um, so I think oftentimes when somebody is experiencing those nerves and they are rushing that they're not aware of what their opponent might be seeing in that moment or sort of the image that they're sending off to their opponent. Um, so I think that body language piece is critically important because it, it's, it's sending a message to the person on the other side. I mean, I often will say if somebody has, you know, weaker body language or they're getting frustrated, I'll say, Hey, stop for a second. If you're playing somebody and they're throwing their racket or they seem nervous or they you know are acting that way, how do you feel? And they're like, oh, I, just, I feel pretty good. That makes me feel more confident. So they like, okay, so let's reverse that. Um, when you're doing that to your opponent, how is that going to make them feel? So to be able to, um, I, I, I just think sort of shifting that perspective and, again, broadening that perspective can help people recognize the importance of things like body language, um, things like, you know, how we present ourselves. And I think, you know, going back to, um, you know, handling pressure in that moment, um, I think it's, it's really important that we have that awareness of, you know, what we're doing and what's going on around us, you know, wh- what's going on within us, how are we feeling, what are we thinking, being aware of that, but also being aware of the, you know, our opponent certainly, and the match, in general, I think that those different levels of tennis IQ, going back to Jorge Capistani's original model, um, are, at, are most important at, at the match's biggest moments, at those most high-pressure moments. I think that's really where we need to be able to slow things down and take that deep breath and be present and be aware of all these different levels of things.
0: Yeah, and I think something you're hitting on is also just like, The importance of managing your time when you're doing this, using that routine so that you can not only be taking care of your body chemistry and how you feel, but then also getting your focus on what's actually important, getting again onto the positive things that you want to do, where you want to serve, where you want to hit your return, what's that second ball look like, or what's the pattern I want to play here. Do I want to put pressure on the opponent? Or do I want to make him him or her hit a ton of balls? You know, maybe they have a low shot tolerance, so I'm just going to push them and push them and make them work. Um, those things then, you know, by using that time wisely between points, you can really um, and then handle pressure much better if you're, again, focused more on what you want to do and then feeling, getting your body to feel good in those moments, you know. Um, so I get. I think that gets back to you know our discussion on routines, which we had a, a few episodes ago, um, and, and how important that is. And this might be an example of I think we talked about yellow light routines. I, I like to think of big points as an opportunity to use your yellow light routine, which is where you take a little bit more time on that. So uh, at least until you get really good at at these pressure moments. So that that could be for our listeners, if, if pressure moments are things that you struggle with or like those deuce points, that is an opportunity to take some extra time before that point. Really think about what you want to do. Um, think about what your game plan is there. Get yourself feeling good and then execute that play. Like you said, that you've either visualized and or also put it on the practice court so that it's just, yeah, that's my play. But you know, get yourself in the right frame of mind so you can do that. So I think um, these are all really good ways of getting yourself to perform better. Um, they're not necessarily guarantees that you're going to be performing great under pressure right away. But they are the right things to do. And with practice, your performance under pressure will become better.
1: And I think, I think another uh, a last point maybe on, on this specific topic that I would, I would add is we see the, the pros, um, male, female, whoever, at, at even the highest levels of the sport, will come off court and say, hey, I was, I was feeling nervous. I was feeling the pressure. Yeah. Um, Naomi Osaka, we just referenced this in our uh, Australian Open recap. She was saying leading up to her final that she was feeling, feeling the pressure of, of that moment, even though she'd been in it before, even though leading up to that match, she was 3-0 and in, in major finals. She was feeling nervous. She was feeling that pressure. So I think, um, in, you know, in, uh, many players, many top players have referenced that um, at, at times. So I think being able to, for our listeners, who are most of whom not at that level, uh, being able to not judge ourselves so much that if we are feeling that, and recognize that, hey, everybody goes through this, even the best in the world. Um, but rather than judging myself, how am I going to manage it? Do I have a plan to manage it? You know, maybe, and we've, we've talked about some of the different pieces of that plan. Maybe that involves breathing. Maybe that involves some sort of self-talk and being able to sort of rationalize your, with yourself in that moment. Um, maybe that involves your routine. In fact, I would say it should uh, be a part of your routine. I think all these different pieces um, you know the the mindfulness or the the breathing aspect, the self talk piece, um, the, uh, these other pieces that we referenced in our episode on routines all fit into this. Uh, it, it fit into routines broadly. So I think you know having a plan so that it's not a matter of if you're going to get nervous or when, because it, it does happen to everybody at, at at different times. So not judging ourselves in that moment, um, but rather you know, not focusing on that problem of the nerves or of the emotions, but rather having a, thinking about the solution in terms of, okay, what are we going to do about this?
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, matches probably have multiple pressure moments. Yep. And let's say you don't do well in the first couple. Don't be tricked into thinking it's a pattern. Yep. Just because you lose a couple of those points doesn't mean, oh, I always lose the deuce point. <laughs> She's winning all the deuce points. And I don't know. I you hear that all the time, that you know, deuce points ends up becoming sort of the excuse of the day for why. But you knew the match was no ad, so we got to be ready for that situation. And even if you lose the first couple, so what? Try to learn from that. Try to be better at the next one. It doesn't mean just because somebody won a couple of deuce points that he or she is going to win all of them or going to win the majority of them. It's that can easily turn around, and you know I think we as humans sometimes start to create patterns and trends where they're really not there. Um, and I think you know that's what our brains do. Our brains are really good at detecting patterns in things, and that's you know part of our higher level thinking. But sometimes it's a little too active, and you know if somebody wins a couple of points, that's not a pattern. That's two points. That's a very small sample size from a data perspective. You would never make any real life judgments based on two points of data. But it's very, but tennis players or athletes will often do that. Um, even let's say you're a basketball player, you missed your first two shots. You might start passing the ball off more often. You know, like you don't want to take any more shots because you're, you've missed the first couple. Um, but we've got to keep going back out there. There are going to be more pressure moments in the, in, in the match. We hope so. Um, and, and let's just keep going at it the way we want to and learn from that, that process. I'd love to have somebody say, yeah, I lost the first couple of deuce points, but then I won the rest of them. <laughs> and, that's, uh, and that is all, again, about how our mind perceives things and the stories that we tell ourselves which then end up driving certain emotions and certain behaviors. And so we just have to be very, again, uh, watchful and observant for how we're thinking about pressure so that um, you know, when it really comes down to the business end of the match or of a set, we're, right in, the, we're in the right mindset so that we can perform like we want to. Uh,
1: absolutely. And I, I think that all goes back to you know, how are we appraising things? How are we viewing this moment um, and I think that sort of ties into another point that I know we wanted to touch on which is um, other other people and how that ties in whether those be our coaches whether those be our teammates whether those be parents um, but other people's uh, expectations or maybe perceived expectations or you know the the judgments or perceived judgments of other people and how that ties into Um, The the pressure uh, that we're experiencing or sort of uh, how we are viewing that moment in terms of, um, you know, how we're feeling in in terms of uh, the pressure, in terms of, you know, the sort of expectations that we're putting on ourselves um, compared to maybe at at times feeling like we have to perform well so that we're not letting down our teammates or so that, um, you know, we're making our parents proud or anything like that. Um, Brian, where do you, ha, how, how do you view that when, when you work with athletes, um, and, and you hear things like that, um, in terms of, um, oh, I, I don't want to let down my teammates or, you know, my parents are spending all this money on my training or, uh, my coach has been, you know, working really hard with me. How, how, uh, how do you help athletes with that process?
0: Yeah, it's, it's funny. I had this conversation, not with a tennis player, but the volleyball player yesterday. Obviously there are some similarities with the scoring system between the two sports. And so she said that exact same thing. It's like, I don't want to let down my, you know, my, my teammates and my coaches. Um, you know, so when I make mistakes and I don't play well, you know, I'm afraid I'm letting them down. And I, I just asked a very simple question. It says, well, is that how you judge them? Do they disappoint you when they make mistakes? And and it's like, Oh no. <laughs> and so It really comes down to what do we think is the true criteria that we need to live up to that people will be proud of us? And I think it comes down to controllables. Do you have the right attitude when you go out and play? Like positive attitude. Do you give it your best effort? Are you focused on doing what you're supposed to do? whether your process goals or, or just following, um, you know, your, your practice plan or, or game plan for that particular day. Those are some, you know, there probably are some other controllables that you could say um, that may be just part of effort and, and, and focus. Um, if you go out and do those things, I don't think anybody can really ask any more of you as an athlete. And so, you know, Josh, if you and I are teammates and you're, you're out there playing and you're giving it your all, great attitude and, and, and whatever, and for some reason you come up short, I'm not going to be like trashing you and you're <laughs> like, oh, I'm so disappointed in Josh. My teammate just didn't have it today. Yeah, although I have heard that. <laughs> Maybe I told you that story. Um,
1: <laughs>
0: um, not a good teammate there, but uh, I, most of your teammates and coaches are not going to judge you on that. They're going to know you left it all out there. Um, and then I, how could I ask of any, anything else of you? And then also, how could you ask of anything else of yourself? Because we can't control the winning and losing. Well, we can control the losing probably, but we can't always control the winning um, in, in matches that are competitive. And because if we could, then who would choose to lose? We'd all be undefeated at this point. So I think when we, you know, look at, um, you know, what we can actually control in those situations, it's that effort, that attitude, body language, your breathing all these little simple things. If you're doing those things, your teammates won't be disappointed. Your parents won't be disappointed. Your coaches won't be disappointed. Um, if you lose, then we deal with that and then we learn and, and, and we move on to the, to the next event, um. So I think that is one aspect of um, you know, outside expectations that sometimes we as people have this success criteria in our head that's faulty. We think it's all based on winning and losing and that that's what they're gonna be disappointed in. Um that or you know, our parents are not gonna, you know, love us as much if we're not successful. Um and, and generally that's that's just not true. Um and this brings us back, I think, to the whole expectations word that we brought up earlier with, you know, Ika Tech and keeping expectations low or keeping them realistic. And I think if we bring it back to that and just simply focus on our own standards, then we can go out there and be proud of ourselves if we are able to maintain those standards and bring excellence to all the little things that we do that we think are going to lead to a good performance. That may also, you know, go sort of maybe into a, a whole nother topic on focus on the process. But it's if you know all the little details of your process, and you can bring excellence to all those details, it's going to end up. It's going to result in a, in probably a pretty good performance. Again, not a guarantee of a win, but uh, you're much more likely to win. Just thinking about winning and I uh, should win or whatever. That doesn't tell you what to do. But if you just keep it, keep it real. Keep your expectations low, and just focus on being the best you you can be, having the best process that you know of, and bringing excellence to that. You're going to have a, a pretty good day.
1: Yeah, and I think this this goes back to um, that theme that, that we often go to um, this this controlling the controllables theme, where you know so some of the stuff might seem easier said than done. And, and it, it is easier said than done. Um, but if you find yourself, you know, it, it's a process. So if you find yourself thinking about these things out of our control, like, you know, our, our, like, like your uh, teammates, let's say, and, and how they're viewing you or any of these other things um, out of our control during, during a match or as you're competing, or even as you're practicing, being able to shift that attention, and shift that focus onto something that is controllable. I think that skill in itself um, is, is one of the cornerstones really to me of, of the mental game of, you know, being able to shift that focus and time and time again, go back to these things, go back to the present moment and go back to these things that ultimately we can't control and can influence.
0: Yeah. So fascinating discussion, Josh, hopefully everybody got something out of that with respect to pressure moments, pressure events how to handle those things and so forth. So that's our show for today. Thank you all for listening. For more on today's show, please check out the show notes. If you have any feedback or questions, please email us at tennisiqpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use the Twitter hashtag tennisiq. Additionally, please subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice, including YouTube, so that you can be notified of new episodes. You can also check us out on Instagram where we're posting uh, notifications of new episodes. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you again soon in our next episode.